Welcome into Tailgate. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner in sunny Cincinnati. Two more days, two more sleeps until the 2022 NFL Draft. We are going over our final mock drafts today. Final mock drafts. Can't believe we've how many mock drafts have we done? <laughs> we've talked about other people's mock drafts. We got Maurice Jones Drew mock, draft, mock drafts on here. It's time to put our final mocks to the test. The way we're going to do this too is going to go who I think is going to go on and who you think is going to go on. Not who we take, but we actually are forecasting here. What I want to hammer throughout this too is the DraftKings player props. Because I think the market is leaning toward a lot of different things. Uh, I, I tweeted out earlier this morning that you should bet Derek Stingley Jr. plus 300 to be a top five pick. That market has already moved to plus 200. I, yeah. I, it's it's They're moving fast. You should probably bet that Jermaine Johnson is going to be a first rounder. Only minus 10,000. Stop. Just stop. You were, you were bringing that up earlier. Nice 1% rate of return in one day. That's good. That's a good rate of return. The only piece I had on the catch and only buzz was this Scott Fitterer press conference. I hate GM press conferences, honestly, pre-draft. He on there, it's being they all They all definitely say exactly what they're going to do. They're all like, I'm going to draft this guy and then that guy. Fun and fact, every single GM would explore a trade down. That's it's <laughs> literally every single year. Oh, would you explore a trade down? Yeah, they would. Every single GM. It's literally your job. Your job is, should be to always explore a trade down if someone's calling. Except they also said, Yeah, except, except for last year. And they did it. But he wasn't exploring it. He just got off. What I would say is, Fitterer said, yeah, there's some quarterbacks I take at six. And yeah, three or four teams are seriously interested in trading up to six. He's just driving up the value he of his He would do pick. anything, apparently. <laughs> there are probably a couple other players you take at six. Um, that's the only thing I had the catch and early buzz sponsored by Miller Lite. Anything on your end for the catch and early buzz? Let's get no. sitting in these mocks. I, I literally spent, since I woke up at like 6.30 this morning, I've probably consumed over 50 mock drafts. I feel like uh, Papa John, you know, <laughs> after I ate all those pizzas. I've consumed over 50 mock drafts in the last eight hours. I have really been just like grinding every single one, trying to find every bit of last-second info I could possibly find to, to get this mock as accurate as possible. And I am in danger of not hitting a single pick still. I still, have, I still do not feel good about any of these. Straight up. So that's where I'm at right now. So let's get to it. Yeah, I think the the mock drafts this year, I think every single analyst has said the said that in one shape or form. Like this is the hardest one of the hardest mock drafts to create because it's just so up in the air. I think a lot of that too is just there aren't a lot of I was talking to someone recently, there aren't a lot of this is the number one player at this position things, right? Yeah. Like even at offensive tackle, yeah, it's like Iquanu, but you like Charles Cross. Oh, I like Evan Neal. You go to Edge. I like Trayvon Walker. Others like Aiden Hutchinson. Some like Kayvon Thibodeau. And you go to wide receiver. I like Garrett Wilson. What about Jameson Williams? What, it's, when you have not a consensus one at any of these premium positions, it gets that much more difficult to you know mock guys, specifically in the top five, top ten. And there isn't a consensus QB one. There isn't even a consensus tight end one. There isn't a consensus guard one. I, there's consensus yeah. at center and safety. That's it. But even then, I've seen some people who have a second round grade on Kyle Hamilton. Yeah. So it's, it's so I been think a, center's the only one. <laughs> I, yeah, I, truly center, do. Yeah. I think center is the only one where you will find you would be hard pressed because I think center two, the only guy like in the conversation would be like a Camp Jurgens. And he's like the similarly typed to Tyler Lindenbaum. He's an undersized athletic guy. Some people, though, may still have like Zion Johnson as a center and be higher for certain teams because he would be a scheme fit for others. So, yeah, uh, it's it's a weird ass class. That's for damn sure. Yeah, I was talking to someone recently. It's like, oh, Jordan Davis is DT1. It's like, no, some people have Devontae Wyatt. <laughs> like, it's like, it's like not even close at any other position, really. And a lot of people like Lewis Seen, depends on where you're going to play them, all that stuff. Even outside corner, 
Derek Stingley Jr. and Ahmad Gardner are neck for neck and neck on most yeah. people's boards as as the battle for CB1. All right, who I had going number one overall in my mock, and I wrote this on Sunday. So yours is a little bit later. You got more information, which is fine. No, that's fine. I'll, I'll take the edge. It's paralysis by over analysis. When I was writing opinion. Trayvon Walker up at number one overall, okay, he was plus two hundred for the number one overall pick. When my mock draft published that morning, he was minus one ninety. He's now minus one ninety to be the number one overall pick. And a big a big reason I made that decision was the Friday. And you know, I talk about GMs not really tipping their hand in their press conferences. I felt like I learned a lot from the bulky one. You know, bulky was asked about Ian Hutchinson, and bulky said he's a good football player. There are a lot of good football players in this class. And he talked about Trayvon Walker and how he was used in Georgia and it's reason why he wasn't super productive, only nine and a half career sacks, all this stuff. And then you factor in his obsession with arm length and not necessarily his obsession but a high threshold he has a high threshold for defensive linemen in their arm length you go back to the picks he made in san francisco with deforest buckner arik armstead and then obviously alden smith i i, I do think that the arm length which is sub 10 percentile for aiden hutchinson and wingspan i think is sub 15 percentile is a concern big enough for bulky for him to consider walker at number one overall and then you factor in the hint the little taste the little sprinkle of pettiness at jim harbaugh and some people are like, oh, he's not going to factor that in. It's like, yeah, it's a multi-million dollar decision that Balky's making. But pettiness at that degree, I think, will happen. So I think Balky is leaning Walker. And then all the rumors are people that I've talked to, people that are, you know, are sending out reports consistently, Albert Breer, Peter King, is that Doug Peterson is actually interested in Ikea Kwanu, the NC State offensive tackle, who I think is probably more likely to go number one overall than even Aiden Hutchinson at this point. Yesterday... Ike Iquano was plus 1,400 to be the number one overall pick. Today, he's plus 450. The odds shifting massively in his direction, being in strong consideration for that number one overall pick. I had Trayvon Walker, though. In terms of, you know, some people are saying this would be the biggest mistake Jacks could make, another failed decision by Bulky. I still think Trayvon Walker is a top 10 player in this class, and I understand the rationale for betting on a player with his arm length, wingspan, size, and athleticism. Would I take him at one over Hutchinson? No. But I don't think it's as big of like an absolute, you know, some people are billing it this absolute disaster. Trayvon Walker's floor, in my opinion, is a lot higher than it's being billed as. You know, he's not this like boomer bust guy that's just going to be trash at the next level or really good. You know, it's not like Josh Rosen's situation or anything like that. He's either going to be develop into this premier pass rusher that he can be or be a really, really good run defender that has inside-outside versatility. I don't think the floor is as low as people are saying. Yeah, I think Trayvon Walker goes one. That's all you got. That's all you, <laughs> you got. Said a lot there. So. I did say a lot. I did. I, I don't think. I don't think uh, you're going to see another mock draft with not Trayvon Walker number one overall. As we get, you know, we only have two days left, right? I think he is going to be the number one overall pick in everybody's mock draft as we get closer, especially as betting markets follow that direction. I think the only other player, again, that's even in consideration for the Jags is Ike Aquano. Does that mean it could, you know, could Hutchinson come over? Yeah, but Shad Khan, the owner, would have to power play Hutchinson is number one overall pick and we've had this conversation in the office and you kind of disagree with me a bit so I'm interested to hear you say it on the mic here I don't think Shad Khan as much as he wants Hutchinson is going to like overpower Bulky in his decision making because I think it just makes it that much harder to move on from Bulky if this doesn't work out like if the owner says I think about in the situation I'm here at PFF say at PFF I was like I want to publish x and then the owner of the company, Chris, says, no, I want you to you know, send out a picture of your mom on the site. It's like, if, I, if, if he wants to do that and puts a picture of my mom on the site and then fires me for like things going wrong, that's, that look, that's just way harder of a conversation. I think Khan's like, looking at it as like, okay, Balky, you want Walker? Or if you want to go with Pearson, you want to go take a Quanu, go take him. If it doesn't work out and Hutchinson's a baller, you're not picking at the Jags ever again. But it's still your team. 
It's still his team. I know it's still his team. And, and there's no – it's a hard conversation. Firing someone's a hard conversation to begin with, and Balky's going to get his contract no matter what because contract's guaranteed for coaches, GMs, front office people. So it doesn't matter if, from that sort of perspective of it's not like you – having to fire someone here at PFF and worrying about severance pay. It's no, he's getting fair. that paid no matter what. So you do what you think is in the best interest of your franchise. If you really want to say Hutchinson, he can force the pick. My take is though, if Shad Khan does that, Shad Khan says, no dude, we're going Hutchinson. You, get, you might as well just fire him on the spot there. Well, Cause like, you've just like castrated him. You're like, you're like, essentially you're like, yeah, cool. Your I'm, job's dead. Shad Khan, how much tape do you think Shad Khan has watched? Compared to Balky and this coach and this coaches and, and the value, Balky comes or Cod comes in, who's the owner, who's probably thinking about a thousand other things outside of who should we take at one. He comes in, and says like, "Yeah, Balky, I'll see you later. We're taking Hutchinson. I, you might as well fire him the next day, in my opinion." Well, I mean, they had Dave Caldwell was the lame duck GM there for yeah. a couple of years ago. Like that was everyone and their mother knew he was going to be gone after that season, but they kept him around. So I I don't think that's an unprecedented precedent to set. Unprecedented president. All right, you had Trayvon Walker going number one. At number two overall, this one's interesting. I think it's between two Michigan natives. It's Aiden Hutchinson, who I think is minus 200, according to betting markets, to be the number two overall pick now. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau, I think, is second in odds to go number two overall, if, and not even if, but um, in the current odds where they're at. I do think that Detroit favors Aiden over this other Michigan native, Mod Gardner, but I think Mod Gardner is going to be in consideration. And people are saying, not oh, a no. there. Not you know, Not I, I think he's in consideration. I think I I agree with the market that Aiden is the favorite. He's minus two hundred right now to go number two overall, and I think they ultimately do go Aiden. That's who I had in my at my number uh, in my mock draft. But I think they're they are thinking about Garner at two, and you brought this up before as well. If Aiden goes one, I think Garner's going to be in consideration at two. I do think that they're really high on Ahmad Garner, despite obviously the investment they made in Jeffrey Okuda. Yeah, I mean because that wasn't their investment technically. The front office that's in place now, so. Um... I still think if walks off the board, though, it's just slam dunk, Aiden Hutchinson. Don't really overthink that one. So consensus picks there, one and two. That's Trayvon Walker, then Aiden Hutchinson. Here at number three, I think we have another consensus pick. I published Ahmad Gardner here at number three overall to the Houston Texans. Someone I was talking to today, head coach Luke Fickle for Cincinnati, still doesn't call him sauce. He says, I told him I will not call him sauce until he's drafted. He's like, I only got a couple days left, though. <laughs> and uh, he, he spoke really highly of him, obviously. And he also spoke, too, which is something interesting. He's like, here in Cincinnati, we didn't play a lot of complex coverages. You know, we, we ran him in man a ton and, and loved him in press and didn't really ask him to do much. But he's like, he's one of the smartest people on our football team. And if we asked him to do more things, he thinks he could have, like, really effectively done it. Mm -hmm. And he brought up, or I brought up the Alabama game and how Saban kind of, you know, showed some respect to Gardner and ran more bunch sets to get him out of press. He's like, exactly. Like, he was agreeing a lot with that, what I was saying there. And, you know, feels that Ahmad Gardner is getting kind of pigeonholed as like, oh, plays press only at the next level. He's like, he can do a lot. And something that he asked Gardner prior to this season, he says, if you want to be an NFL player, you got to get up to 195, 200 pounds. And if you want to be an NFL player, you got to do this. And Gardner, you know, met the bill and has improved so much over the course of his career there at Cincinnati. It was a fantastic story from Fickle. That interview drops on tomorrow's podcast, the Wednesday podcast before the draft. But yeah, I had the Houston Texans going corner, Ahmad Gardner of Cincinnati. I know a lot of people think Iki Aquanu is going to be the pick here at number three, but I'm leaning where the markets are. Right now, Ahmad Gardner is minus 125 to be a top five pick in this year's draft. And I think it's going to, he's either going to go to Houston or the Giants. Or, he, I mean, he could be even consideration for the Jets. I think he's going to fall in that range. And uh, I, I ultimately have Houston pulling the trigger. I have Sauce Gardner as well. I mean, okay, so Jack Easterby, obviously still puppet master down in Houston. Sauce Gardner, I, 
doesn't drink, doesn't smoke. He is all all ball, all business. I, I can just see the Texans falling in love with a guy like that, and especially a premium position, a position that they obviously desperately need. Um, for all those reasons, I, I think he'll be the pick. And they have like they have options at tackle. Like they drafted Titus Howard, hoping he'd be a tackle, and obviously, and obviously they kicked him inside Tunsil. guard and tackle, and still have Laramie Tunsil to where they have options at tackle that's not as pressing as say corner, which not a lot. Of and, and this is where the markets are leaning right now. Derek Stingley Jr., the other top cornerback in this class, is the favorite to be the number three overall pick at plus three thirty, and Ahmad Garner's right up there next to him at plus four hundred. And I said his odds to go top five are minus one twenty five. They just recently moved to minus one fifty. Ahmad Garner is going to be, in my opinion, a Jet. Giant or Houston Texan. I, I do think that because of the drop-off and outside cornerback talent specifically, I do think that both those guys are ultimately top five picks. I'm not surprised that Derek Stingley Jr. is the favorite. I think it's going to be one of those two guys, Gardner or Stingley here at number three overall. Maybe you, maybe I flip the pick in my late, late updates to my mock draft and go with Stingley there at three, but I like the pick right now, Gardner to the Texans. At number four, this is where it gets interesting because betting markets have taken off Kayvon Thibodeau's pick number problem. He's, uh, it's off. You can't bet right now over under a mark for Kayvon Thibodeau. But what you can bet, or actually they just put it back on, under four and a half for Kayvon Thibodeau is minus 205. For him to be a top five pick, it is minus 600. The odds for Kayvon Thibodeau, the Oregon defensive end, to be a top four pick are minus 205, and the odds to be a top five pick are minus 600. The markets see him landing probably in New York, whether that's to the Jets at four or the Giants at five. I have him going to the Jets here at number four overall. I think there will be some consideration of the offensive tackles, Ike Kwanu, Charles Cross, Evan Neal, but I, I'm leaning where the markets are leaning. I, I think a lot of the conversation around Thibodeau has been smoke, and it's been for the reason that is, you know, getting him to a spot where you could potentially draft him at nine. Like Seattle probably sending some of that stuff out. Minnesota at 12 is probably sending some of that stuff out. I have Thibodeau here at four, he's minus 205 to go inside the first four picks and now minus 600 to be a top five pick. I have Jermaine Johnson here at number four. Wow. I believe the reports from uh, Dane Brugler saying that he thinks what he's hearing is more likely than um, Jermaine Brugler, obviously, that, of the athletic, hearing he's more likely than Kayvon Thibodeau and Connor Hughes, uh, who's Jets reporter for the athletic as well saying that Jermaine Johnson could be the fourth overall pick for the Jets, that they love him and could see him as edge one in this I, class. You know who I also saw who was higher on Johnson than Thibodeau for the Jets is Matt Bowen, who does a lot of really good work for ESPN. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be more consensus opinion that Thibodeau is a better prospect than Johnson, but not even seeing that from evaluators. And evaluators are seeing the option is Johnson over Thibodeau. And then you have forecasters, specifically Jets beat writers, like like you said, Connor Rogers saying, I think they could prefer Johnson over Thibodeau. Um, or Connor Hughes, sorry. Connor Hughes preferring Johnson over Thibodeau. Right now, the betting markets are not that way. So if you do feel as Mike feels, Jermaine Johnson to be the number four overall pick is plus 300. And for him to be a top five pick, it is plus 350. So if you are leaning into that Johnson reporting as well, I would definitely put your money where your mouth is. At number five, I had the New York Giants taking the first offensive tackle off the board, Iki Aquanu. And this one's interesting because I think they could go corner here. And I've already talked a ton about, oh, Derek Stingley minus, you know, is, is plus 200 to be a top five pick. I think the Giants want Stingley. You know, I, want, I think they want Gardner. Gardner off the board and the Panthers, we know, needing offensive tackle. With the Giants at five and seven, I think it's more likely that they go tackle at five and then corner at seven, hoping, praying 
that a team doesn't trade up with the Panthers to go get a corner before they're picking yeah. again. Because I do think the Giants are looking at tackling corner with how the board is falling, knowing that I think you're going to see three edge defenders come off the board in the first four picks. Mm-hmm. Walker, Hutchinson, and then maybe it's Johnson, maybe it's Thibodeau. And at that point, I think the Giants look at offensive tackle and corner. So I have Ike Aquano going to the Giants at five. I have Aquano to the Giants at five as well. Now, in this scenario with no tackles off the board, I could see them leaning Stingley here with the fifth overall pick. But uh, I do think that it, it, you probably go get your guy, knowing that the Panthers, it would it would take a trade up for someone like Derek Stingley to have him come off the board at number six. Panthers aren't going to draft him. This is pretty market-friendly so far with what we've done. Ikea Kwanu is minus 330, so a glaring favorite to be a top-five pick, and then also plus 175, the favorite to be the Giants pick at number five overall. At number six, I do not think, despite Scott Fitterer's comments today, <laughs> that the Carolina Panthers are taking quarterback here at six. If a quarterback is taken at six, I think it's more likely that team traded up, honestly. like I don't think the Panthers are going to hitch their wagon, Fitterer and Rule combined, hitch their hot seat to a quarterback here at number six overall, especially in this weaker quarterback class. I think it's more likely they trade out, or if they stay put, get an offensive tackle. If Ike Kwanu's already off the board, I think it's Evan Neal or Charles Cross. In my in my mock draft, I had Evan Neal going here at number six. I have Charles Cross going number six um, for reasons stated. Also, the smoke now that Evan Neal may have uh, injury red flags and off some team's really? boards. So uh, I'm leaning Charles Cross at number six. I think he's the most NFL rate pass protector. And I I think I gave this take that I just think I haven't yet to hear anyone behind on this quarterback class. And for a top 10 pick, drafting the top 10, you have to fall in love. And to me, it just does not seem like there's a talent that's fall in lovable with. So I think we see a little slide for these QBs, but I still think help come off the board in the first rounds. We'll see. Man, you are ahead of the game. I think this is the benefit of doing your mock draft where you did it. Charles Cross right now, minus 140 to be a top six pick. And Evan Neal, minus 205 to fall outside the top six. So definitely markets trending in the cross direction over Neal, which I did not see coming. That was not the case when I wrote my mock draft up on Sunday. Might have to make a late change here before we get into Thursday's affairs. At number seven, New York Giants. This is where I think they go corner. If they don't go corner at five, I think they go corner at seven. And I think this is honestly Derek Stingley's floor. Derek Stingley's floor for me is number seven overall to the New York Giants. Um, He, in my opinion, is the top cornerback in this class. Right now, betting markets, I think, have him as a favorite to be minus 225 to be a top nine pick. I guess his absolute floor probably is Seattle, but I think the Giants do take him here at seven if if the board falls this way. I have Stingley going here as well. I think the Giants, with the whole James Bradbury situation that we've outlined in that contract, Obviously not in their long-term plans. Stingley, people coming around to the fact that, you know, there were legitimate reasons to why his tape may not have measured up over the past few years, but that talent has not gone anywhere. All right. I think this is where we're going to see some differences because I think the Atlanta Falcons pick at eight might be the hardest one, the hardest one to mock. I, they could go Jordan Davis. They could go Jermaine Johnson. Yeah. They could go one of the receivers. It could be Jamison Williams. It could be Garrett Wilson. Some people like uh, Drake London here. I have them going... Garrett Wilson, which is opposite to where markets see Garrett Wilson falling right now. He is a favorite to fall outside the top nine picks, whereas Jamison Williams is a favorite to go inside the first 11. I think they go receiver ultimately. I just don't know who they're going to take here. I don't think it's Jamison Williams, though. I think it's a receiver that can play week one, which I'm leaning towards Drake London or Garrett Wilson in this spot. I went Jamison Williams, Alabama. I think they realize they're not going to be good. It would be difficult for me 
to envision a scenario where they think they're going to be good with Marcus Mariota starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think they realize that, and that's why they traded Matt Ryan in the first place because they're like, oh shit, our cap situation is an abomination, and Matt Ryan just isn't going to be in our future plans if with the roster as currently built we're too far away so i think that's why i traded in the first place i think they'll realize that and if you are patient if you have time my opinion jameson williams would be your wide receiver one if you're thinking long term yeah two three years down the road jameson williams would be the wide receiver one in this class right now uh the atlanta falcons the three favorites to be the pick there at number eight are garrett wilson jameson williams and Drake london so definitely thinking receiver and it's minus 120 that the falcons take a receiver with their first pick which is wild to see for a team that that's is drafting that late yeah. they are you know a lot of a lot of the markets leaning into them going wide receiver with their first pick all right off of that and into the seattle seahawks charles cross i have here i i know you had him going to the carolina panthers at six i think if cross falls to nine it is a sprint the card in situation for seattle i think they want to get in on this offensive tackle class i like charles cross to seattle if the board falls this way i have evan neal going here i, I think that he still medical red flags, whatever, um, would be someone that the Seahawks would cover. Offensive line for the Seattle Seahawks. Number 10, I don't know what to do here. So obviously at four, I had the Jets bring in Kayvon Thibodeau. And then at 10, I want to say they like receiver. I think it could be Jamison Williams. I think it could be Drake London. I also think it could be Garrett Wilson. Um, I think Douglas wants to come out of the top 10 with an edge and a receiver. So I'm leaning that direction. I had them take Drake London of USC at 10. I went Garrett Wilson from Ohio State here at 10. Uh, I just think that while I love the fit of Drake London, I do think the ankle, the speed, going to scare some more teams off, whereas the, you know, Lafleur shanahan now tree is a speed, more speed-predicated offense that Garrett Wilson with 4-3-8, would probably be a guy they'd covet more in that, even if they don't necessarily have a a uh, true possession guy. I guess Corey Davis can be more of that in that offense uh, this upcoming season. Before we get to picks 11 through 32, we're going to shout out a handful of our sponsors here. Cash App, uh, the, the Tailgate Podcast is brought to you by Cash App. Cash App is the easiest way to send, spend, and save your money. You can send or request money from your friends when, you, when they owe you for dinner, drinks, literally anything. Besides just spending money and back and forth with Cash App, you can invest in stocks with as little as a dollar, as well as buy, sell, and send Bitcoin instantly. It's really that easy. Cash App also lets you design your own debit card, completely free to spend anywhere you'd like. Cash App will laser print, laser print it and mail it to you, all for free. And the card comes with free discounts at your favorite places called Boosts. Sign up for Cash App today using referral code HUTCHPOD, which gives you new new users $15 and Cash App will set aside $10 for each sign up to go towards the Chad Tuff Foundation to battle pediatric brain cancer. The more people that use the code HUTCHPOD when registering, not only get $15 for free, but you're also helping to support the Chad Tuff Foundation. Download the Cash App, download Cash App on the App Store or Google Play Store today. All right, on to number 11. I had a trade happen here. Okay. I think if Malik Wills falls outside the top 10, which is where betting markets lean, I think the Pittsburgh Steelers will be getting on the phone. I think the Steelers will look at 11 with Washington, 12 with Minnesota, hell, even Houston at 13 if they are against going quarterback. And then it'll, they'll just keep trickling down. Very similar to the situation with, remember Jason Light trying to trade up for the 
Tristan Wirfs. Mm-hmm. He was calling a lot of teams higher than where he ultimately traded up, saying, hey, can we come up? Can we come up? Can we come up? And you just keep running into teams that were picking and not trading down. Yeah. I think the Steelers will be in a similar spot, and it'll start with Washington. And Washington, in my opinion, is in a good position to trade down unless they're obviously in love with one of the top receivers that could be available there. If Garrett Wilson and Drake Leonard are already off the board and they're not high on Olave, I could see them coming down. So I had them going down. The Steelers trade the number 20 and number 52 overall picks in this year's draft and a 2023 third, which mirror, you know, matches with a lot of the pick value charts and how much they need to spend to go up. And they grab Malik Willis there at number 11. Okay, I have them grabbing Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame. I think this is where... His slide ends, obviously, with Landon Collins out the door. Colin Hamilton comes in, replaces that in their defense to where it just – obviously, you have a defensive-minded head coach in Ron Rivera. I think that's where they're going to invest because I think the wide receivers they may have wanted already off the board. Hamilton is the hardest player, I think, to mock, right? Because even in this mock draft, I hate how I have the Houston Texans going corner and safety. I don't know if they double dip in the secondary with number three and number 13 overall pick, but I just don't know where to slot him in in that 11 to 13 range. I do think that he will be in consideration for Washington at 11, but I think it's more likely if they stay put at 11, they're going to go receiver. Like If they don't trade down, I think they're going to go receiver um, because they have to push more chips into this Carson Wentz bet, right? Because if they don't support the offense, you know, the supporting cast with more talent, I think it's going to be mm-hmm. a little bit of a concern. Now, we don't know, and we haven't had, heard a lot from Washington Brass about how much they like their current receiving core because they do have, obviously, Curtis Samuel, who they've invested in, Terry McLaurin, and De'Ami Brown, who was a second-round pick or maybe a third-round pick out of North Carolina last year. We'll see where they value receiver in this year's class. At number 12, this is probably my favorite landing spot for Jameson Williams, Minnesota Vikings. Talk about a team that can wait. Already have Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson there. When Williams comes back, ideally halfway through the season, that's a boost to hopefully a team that's competing for a playoff spot. I really like this spot for Williams. I think there's a good chance he goes to Atlanta at 8, could go to the Jets at 10. But I think this is one of my favorite landing spots for him. Yeah, I would be hard-pressed to see him falling too far past this pick. Um, I have Kayvon Thibodeau, though, falling down to here. Wow. Oregon edge rusher. I, I do just think that a lot of teams are going to be off him. I don't think a lot of teams are going to love the fit in their defense, but I think the Minnesota Vikings are one that would be willing to pull the trigger with what they've coveted now, obviously new regime, but edge rushers there, another guy to pair long sort of body across from, uh, gosh, Daniel Hunter, even though they have Zendaria Smith, they signed for agency. I think adding to that defensive line, high value position, something Questy is going to covet his first draft. I, I, I tend definitely I can definitely see that. I think the I, I think they want receiver though. I was talking to Matthew Collar recently who does some work with the Vikings and covers the Vikings. And it sounds a lot like the Vikings want to add to that room and, and continue yeah. to kind of throw firepower on the offensive side of the ball. We'll see where they ultimately go. Uh thirteen. This is where I, I already alluded to this. I had Kyle Hamilton come off the board. The more I look at it, I hate it. Like I don't think the Texans are gonna go double in the secondary. I think They'll like Kyle Hamilton in the spot, but if they do go Gardner, I think it's maybe more likely that they go the defensive line here. Maybe Jermaine Johnson, Jordan Davis, George Karloftis, but I had them going Hamilton. Oh, you got Jermaine Johnson falling. I have here. I have a trade. So Houston's at thirteen. Obviously, got the pick from Cleveland. I have the Chargers moving up to jump teams like Baltimore and New Orleans, who could be in the market for Trevor Penning, Northern Iowa offensive tackle. The connection there with. Him working with Duke Manyweather, who was Sean Slater. Their left tackle worked with Duke Manyweather last offseason. I think still works with Duke Manyweather. So, obviously, there's that sort of connection. Again, jumping teams that would probably be in the market for Trevor Penning services. I think that's where the Chargers end up. 
Chargers making a move up. I could see that for sure, especially for a team that thinks that they're in a window, mm-hmm. right? I think that's a, that's another reason for that as well. Baltimore Ravens in this spot, I had them going Jordan Davis, uh, the Georgia defensive tackle. I, I do think that Baltimore is going to covet him at his size. And so I, I don't know. I think he the range that he comes off the board, I think, starts at 13 to the Houston Texans, then 14 to the Baltimore Ravens. I, think he's I mean, I think it could be eight. I think he'd come off the board of the Falcons, really? truthfully. If I really don't know where to make heads or tails of where you come off the board. This is probably the one I'm probably getting the most wrong, but I have Jermaine Johnson falling the Philadelphia Eagles here at 15. And if you look at betting markets, Jermaine Johnson is still plus money to be a top 10 pick, I believe. Mm-hmm. He's plus, or no, he's actually minus 225. So again, I'm way off from where the market sees Jermaine Johnson. I don't think he ultimately falls as far. I just couldn't find, I don't know, I couldn't find a spot for him and he kept falling on my board. So I, I had him here at 15, but I do, I do think, especially where the markets are leaning, I think he goes a lot higher than this. Yeah, that's probably our biggest gap in terms of players coming off the board that we have so far. Obviously, I had to come off the board for the Jets. So here I have Trent McDuffie, Washington cornerback, going to the Eagles. Um, I obviously needs quite obvious. Obviously, was someone across from Darius Slay, and I think they can wait on edge truthfully with the teams behind them. Maybe not so much with Houston now trading back, but I think McDuffie the first pick, and then we'll see who they go to at eighteen in a sec. All righty. At 16, I had the New Orleans Saints taking Trevor Penning here. And they do have two first-round picks. And I'm going to kind of allude to my next one. I did have them taking Kenny Pickett with the 19th overall pick. I just think it's more likely that they value tackle ahead of the Chargers, right? If the mm-hmm. Chargers are picking at 17, we know the Chargers are want to lock in the offensive tackle. I think the Saints go Trevor Penning here at 16. It's more likely they do that with their first pick of the first round than I think quarterback. Yeah, I have Kenny Pickett come off the board here. So hand size, you're in a dome, you're in a division where you got another dome and you're in the south like you're not worrying about cold weather usually at least for your divisional games um so i think that alleviates that to a degree so yeah kenny pickett coming off the board here the saints and obviously i think just if you have two first rounders realistically and you're gonna draft a quarterback like the messaging not to go not to go all full jaguars here when they paid nick Foles, you know 20 million dollars to make sure he was a franchise guy but the messaging of passing on a quarterback to then draft him with your second one is just a little like. I think that's fair. You know, I, I think if you're a team, you're probably going to use, and their picks are that close together, you'd probably use the first one in QB. Maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe I'm No, I'm I'll, just saying, I, I don't, your reasoning is sound as well. Like, who's going to draft that quarterback after him in the next two picks? But yeah. So at 17, you had the Chargers trading up. I had them staying put. And this is one of my, you know, I talked about Jamison Williams is a great fit to Minnesota. I love Chris Olave, the Chargers at 17, especially if the tackles fall this way. And you have Cross, Aquanu, Neal, and Penning all off the board. I don't think they're going to be looking at Tyler Smith here. I don't think they're going to be looking at Bernard Ryman here. I think it's more likely they look at receiver. Mm-hmm. And if Chris Olave falls this far, I think this is right where his pick number, pick prop is on DraftKings. I think he's like, favored to go inside the first 18 19 picks i like the chargers here at 17 yeah i have the texans now going back 17 and get, grabbing devin lloyd the linebacker out of utah obviously nick Sierra coming over from uh the patriots knows that they've coveted linebackers that are versatile that can blitz as well as cover uh devin lloyd can most certainly do that and then you know with his length size obviously levy smith's defense doesn't look anything like bill belichick's defense and maybe you're not necessarily drafting. If you are the front office there for Levy Smith's defense, considering that you might not be your long-term plan at the head coaching position, but he is probably your best fit or the best fit in this draft for Tampa 2 in terms of dropping to that deep middle. 
I had Devin Lloyd coming a little bit later um, in my mock draft, but he was a hard one to mock for me. I don't know Mine where Lloyd. Tough to yeah, find I don't know here. where Lloyd's going to go. I don't know where Nicobe Dean's going to go. I don't know where Quay Walker is going to go. But I think all three are likely to go off the board in the first round. Uh, at, at 18, Philadelphia Eagles here. I love the Trent McDuffie pick. So I have McDuffie going to the Eagles here yeah. at 18. I think I read from Peter King that at 15, they're going to be considering McDuffie or Jordan Davis at 15. So I think McDuffie to the Eagles is one I would buy into. Uh, and I think the, his floor might just well be 18. Yeah, I have Carl Loftus here because I've said McDuffie the first pick. Carl Loftus here. I've mocked this one ton. Got to keep mocking it. It's just he's their type of edge. We already talked a little bit about Kenny Pickett of the Saints. I had the Saints going him at 19. The more I think about it, maybe you're right that they go with the, the 16th pick. I just don't see anyone trading up for Pickett with the Chargers or, say, um, you know, with the Eagles there. Mm-hmm. So I think they can bank on the idea that, hey, by the time we're picking back around, you know, we'll know we'll have Kenny Pickett in our hands. I went Chris Olave here, Ohio State wide receiver. I think he's just perfect number two, perfect complimentary piece to a Michael Thomas to wear quite obvious need and then something that James Winston needs as well you know they, yeah he needs a left tackle but he also needs a number two type of wide receiver and obviously you did draft Kenny Pickett in this mock but kind of trying to hedge I'll say also with what they would do also if they don't draft Kenny Pickett and I think wide receiver is definitely one of the picks if they keep both of them was that your first quarterback off the board Pickett to the Saints I think it was yeah so I think the markets actually have Willis is a pretty heavy favorite to be the first quarterback off the board he's minus 190 to be the first quarterback off the board Kenny Pickett plus 170 um I did not have Pickett obviously as the first quarterback aboard mm-hmm. I had the Steelers trading up from Malik Willis at 11 the commanders come down to 20 this I, I like this scenario for the commanders and I think it's a likely one if they do trade down they go down from 11 to 20 pick up the additional second and third round picks and still land trailing Burks Arkansas receiver that I think can do exactly what they wish Curtis Samuel could do mm-hmm. you know they like, put him in the slot Run this little gadget role that you know where he wins after the catch early on, but you still have Terry McLaurin and hopefully a developing Deami Brown to win on the outside. I think Washington would really benefit from the extra draft capital, and then obviously still landing Burks, who right now is a media consensus top twenty player. I know we're low on him. I can see the league and Washington specifically valuing his skill set. Yeah, I I could see that as well. Um, I would. I have the Steelers staying here and drafting Malik Willis. I, I don't. I don't know how feasible that is. I just really couldn't find a good trade that made a ton of sense that I was loving the fifth for. So I have them take Malik Willis. Now, obviously I think realistically they could trade up for Malik Willis in this draft, but I have them taking him at number 20. The NFL just tweeted out my favorite trendy graphics during the draft where they do, you know, each of your combine results and like you're faster than this guy, jump higher than this guy. So Trayvon Walker, who is six foot five, oh, 272, yeah, yeah. ran a faster 40 than Devonte Adams. Faster three cone than Mike Evans, uh. higher vertical than Amari Cooper, and a longer broad jump than Odell Beckham Jr. Should we move Trayvon Walker to receiver? Yeah, I th- no, I was saying legitimately, if you want in like goal line situations, Trayvon Walker and press covers. You got a seven foot wingspan. What wide receiver? What like a tight end? You got a good tight end on the other team. So. <laughs> Let's say he goes to Jacksonville. It's a good tight end in that division. Shit, there really aren't any. There aren't. There, you're, facing, you're facing Travis Kelsey in the playoffs. Like Trevor it. Lawrence has a massive year. Travis Kelsey in the playoffs. After a first-round bye. Trayvon Walker and press on Travis Kelsey in the red zone. Who says no? How is he going to get off him? Seven-foot wingspan. And he can I, move. I'm going to go ahead and double down here. Why not play him at tight end in the red zone? 
you know, get him out there. Or that moves. I, I don't know what his ball skills look like, but let's might as well I, see it. I saw him windmill dunk on Good Morning Football today. He just could play basketball. He only back has the day, nine so. and a half fewer passing touch, receiving touchdowns than he does career sacks. I mean, it's not that big of a gap. <laughs> so we could see Walker making some plays there. How many how many passes defense does he have? I mean, we've seen him in coverage a little bit. We have to look at how many how many passes defense he's at. I'm gonna look it up to see he if he has more than sacks. All right. Um all right, before we get into picks 21 through 32, we're going to shout out the sponsor again. It's Simply Safe. What do U.S. News, PC Magazine, and Popular Science all have in common? They all rank Simply Safe home security as the best home security of 2021. In fact, U.S. News just named Simply Safe the best home security of 2022. You love to see it. Simply Safe has freed me and Mike from the worry when we're going live on podcasts, knowing that Riggins is alone at home, that everything's going to be okay. Simply Safe protects your whole home around the clock, 24 7, every door, window, and room. Simply Safe is less than a dollar a day, and you can set it up with around 30 minutes, and it's always simple to use. There's never a long-term contract. You can even try it for 60 days risk-free to see if you like it. If you don't, send it back for your charge. There's nothing to lose. Simply Safe protects over a million homes in the United States alone. Check it out. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just a few minutes at simplysafe.com slash hutch. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash hutch. What's interesting, I think as you become an adult, you don't really think about still waiting for that to happen <laughs> you don't really think about making additional investments beyond like literally locking your door and protecting your house how much of that is just like i mean what you know outside of simply safe obviously before simply safe and we purchased simply safe for our home have you ever considered like getting like an, an additional alarm system i yeah. guess we live in a complex I had, though i had um cameras i so growing up i my mother was a prosecuting attorney oh so she was very paranoid about people breaking in and like you know, like law and order SVU coming to, coming to life. I love that. So so we had a pretty intense alarm system all throughout. My, so I, I did was, not. I did not have an yeah. intense alarm system, and I didn't really think about one until obviously Simply Safe came into my life. Uh, New England Patriots at twenty one. This is where I had Devin Lloyd come off the board. This is where I feel like his floor could be. I know he's an older prospect, going to play his nearly his entire rookie season at twenty four years old. But I think the Patriots and Bill Belichick overlooked that. I, I, I do think that Devin Lloyd uh, is a first-round pick, and, and this is one of the landing spots that I think he has the most success. I have Quay Walker going here. Wow. Very Jamie Collins-esque from a body type in that he's just a big dude that can move. And obviously Bill Belichick at the linebacker position has had success with big dudes that can move. And so I think he's a player that the Patriots would be high on. Obviously oh. looking to replace now Collins and looking to replace um, – uh, Dante, Hightower? Dante Hightower, who's still inside of it. Green Bay Packers at 22. People, Green Bay Packers fans specifically, were not thrilled at what I did for them. I'm going to tease their next pick as well. 22 and 29. No, 22 and 27, right? No, 28. 22 and 28, I had them going Tyler Smith and Daxon Hill. They did not go receiver, which I don't think is all that surprising, given the Green Bay Packers history here. But I had them going Tyler Smith here at 22. They could wait on Smith and maybe take him at 28. But I think he's going to get viewed a lot higher from the league than, than people are expecting. I think Tyler Smith goes here at 22. Okay. I have Drake London coming off the board here. Wow. Yes, he that is a here. slide for London. I, I couldn't – him and Traylon Burks, I didn't have great fits for. I admit he could go much higher than this. I mean, he's a top 10 player on some boards. Dale Jeremiah is like eighth on Dale Jeremiah's board. I've seen him mocked higher. But, like, it's kind of – it's the, the teams that I wanted to pull the trigger on wide receiver, like the Chargers – I had them covering tackle first rather than and then waiting on wide receiver because obviously that's probably the harder position to find later in the draft to starter for. The Eagles, I had them going kind of 
you know, not wide receiver for a third year in a row is what my reasoning was for them. And obviously it's strong in some positions that they covet themselves. The Saints obviously have going wide receiver. Patriots, I think, have kind of cashed in at wide receiver already by trading for Devontae Parker. So didn't find a great spot for London. Like I said, admit that he probably won't make it this far in real life. But if he were on the board for the Packers, he would be a receiver that I think they draft. I, you know, honestly, I think that's where markets are leaning as well. Drake London's now plus 150 to be a top 10 pick, and DraftKings has taken down actually his prop figure. So maybe, maybe he is trending down a little bit lower than people think. I think that's a really good scenario for the pack, though. If London's there, as much as I think Tyler Smith's a fit for them, I think mm-hmm. they go London as well, yeah. which is, uh, which would be, I think, a good scenario for Green Bay. All right, 23, Arizona Cardinals. Zion Johnson, Boston College. This is probably the one I've mocked the most over the course of the last three or four months. I think they're looking at interior offensive line. I think they're going to value Zion Johnson over Linderbaum with Hudson, obviously, still on the the roster. I went Andrew Booth Jr., the Clemson corner. Obviously, Marco Wilson, probably not the guy you want to rely on as an outside corner. And I get this on Jeff Gladney, but are we really going to rely on Jeff Gladney either? So Andrew Booth Jr., if he's here for the Cardinals, I think they draft him. 24, Dallas Cowboys grab Tyler Linderbaum, center from Iowa. I think they're also looking at interior offensive line. I have interior offensive line coming off the board for back-to-back picks here and actually back-to-back-to-back picks when you look at the Buffalo Bills. But I think Linderbaum, his slide stops at 24. I think they invest in center. Tyler Biotish is coming off. You just earned a 65.1 overall grade last year, over 1,200 snaps played. I think they're looking for an upgrade there. I think a lot of people – know that Linderbaum is one of the best prospects in this class, but you know, positional value and, and just how often you draft centers highly, that's what's going to push him down to 24. Well, I went Zion Johnson because of versatility it being the main differentiator here. Tyler Linderbaum, if you draft Tyler Linderbaum, you're basically saying Tyler Biotish isn't playing, yeah. which, I mean, he was a fourth rounder. That wasn't a big investment, whatever. But if you draft Zion Johnson, you can kind of have a more open competition and have Zion either play center or guard for you, whereas Linderbaum, he is a center only in that offense. 25, Buffalo Bills, not running back. They go Kenyon Green, interior offensive lineman from Texas A&M. I think this is the, like I kind of have listed here, this is the run on interior offensive lineman. I think the Buffalo Bills are smart enough to invest in interior offensive line over running back in this spot. I went Devontae Wyatt, the Georgia defensive tackle here for the Buffalo Bills. They just, they invest up front. Brandon Bean, early in drafts, D-line. And now... Hasn't had the greatest track record, I will say, of those, but I don't think he's going to stop investing there. Quite obviously, with the contract he gave Von Miller, he wants that D-line to be better. So Devontae Wyatt is my pick for them here. 26, Tennessee Titans. I kind of like this one a lot, and Titans fans were not happy about it. I like George Karloftis, Purdue, going off the board to the Tennessee Titans. I think they could prioritize edge in this spot. I know some people have them going quarterback. Some they people have a have, lot of money tied up in edge right now. Yeah, I, I think they need to get cheaper. I think Karloftis has inside-outside versatility. I think I think Karloftis to Tennessee is a, is a fit I like. Is it a fit you like, or did you run out of spots? No, I like Karloftis to Tennessee. <laughs> okay, all right. I'm just saying. I have Kenny Green coming off the board here. Guard with some tackle versatility. You know, the guy who played a number of different positions. So that O-line obviously went into a little bit of shambles last year. So that's where I have him go. 27, Devontae Wyatt, Georgia defensive tackle going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This is what I felt. I think they're going to look at defensive tackle. I think they could go Travis Jones here. If Jordan Davis falls this far. And I think Devontae Wyatt is another one I think they'll like. I went Daxton Hill, Michigan safety. I was debating here. Travis Jones. I do love the Travis Jones fit Tampa Bay. 
just another defensive tackle next to Vita Vea would be very sick, in my opinion, one someone that can actually get upfield. But I went to Axon Hill. They commit to their secondary or have committed to their secondary, and they have a lot of expiring contracts. He could be your long-term slot cornerback option with safety versatility. 28, Green Bay Packers. I have Daxon Hill coming off the board here. Okay. I think, I know, I, I like your situation for the Packers better. If Drake London falls that far, I think that's going to be a slam dunk. But I, I think Daxon Hill of the Packers is, is exactly the type of skill set they look for in the secondary. He can come in and play slot. I also think he has the versatility to play free safety as well. I have Tyler Smith, the Tulsa tackle, coming off the board here. So we both had Tyler Smith coming to the Packers. You just went 22, I went 28. But, yeah, he, he fits their developmental traits and has the agility, whatever, ticks those boxes that they like to see. Young, I, I think he would be a guy high on their board. Chiefs, back-to-back uh, -back picks, 29 and 30. All the buzz that has Jahan Dotson as a first-round pick, I think this is why. I think the Chiefs are going to, if he's available here at 29, I think the Chiefs are going to go grab Dotson. So I have them going Jahan Dotson, the Penn State wideout, and then Andrew Booth Jr. of Clemson here at 29 and 30. I have them going George Pickens, the Georgia wide receiver, really recapping, capping off their revamped receiving core with something they don't didn't really get. You know, you got your deep threat in uh, MBS, you got your slot now in Juju, and you kind of got your number one in George Pickens. Uh, obviously... Easier said than done if he becomes the number one, but comes with off-field issues. That's for damn sure. Chiefs, though, have overlooked off-field issues in the past for wide receivers. Have you heard anything about these off-field issues? I've only seen the unnamed quotes from like the Athletic. Have you heard? Like, have you talked to anybody about it at all? Uh, it just it probably is not the. Um, I, I'm not going to get more into it. Okay. Okay. I well, I haven't heard. I haven't heard anything. Okay. I've talked to anybody about it. I, re I did read the Athletic article that pretty much called out. Did not interview well for whatever reason it was. All right, 31. Cincinnati Bengals. I think this is dumb, and I wish I changed it. But Wait, I have my, my other pick for the Kansas City Chiefs, sorry. Oh, go ahead. Boy Mafe, Minnesota edge rusher. I think they would lean the athlete there on the edge. I debated between him and Arnold Abichetti, but I think the need is too much. I, I don't see the Chiefs packaging these picks and moving up. Like I did a number of Chiefs radio hits in Kansas City, and everyone keeps asking me about the Chiefs packaging those and moving up. I just don't think that's what you want to do in this class. I think it gets strong around here. Like these are good players still at the back end of the first round that you can be getting because you have multiple needs on this roster. So Boye Mafe is the pick here. All right. I have Boye Mafe, and like I said, I hate it to Cincinnati Bengals because I don't think okay. they're going to prioritize edge. I think they should, especially if Booth is off the board. But I think the better pick I like here and probably should have slipped him in was Kyrie Elam. I like Kyrie Elam of Florida is probably where Cincinnati would go. But in my mock I published Monday, I went Boye Mafe, and I'm regretting it. I went Tyler Lindebaum here. I, I, I did find it difficult to find a ideal spot for him prior to this, but this is definitely an ideal spot. Fits their scheme very well and would complete a O-line transformation and basically says that, hey, Jack Carmen, you don't have to play if you're not ready. You're good. We, we, can, we can let you register another year. You can go to clutch this fall again. <laughs> Number 32, this is where I had Quay Walker come off the board. I think he's ultimately a first-round pick. He was plus 175 to be a first-round pick when I wrote this. He's now, I think, minus 110, minus 130. Uh, the league's going to be higher on him than I think the media consensus is. Media consensus has him at 52. PFF ranks him 45th in this class. Um, but it looks like he's going to be a first-round pick, and I think Detroit Lions are his floor. I like them. I just don't love linebackers super high, obviously. So, um, But I do think he goes in the first round because of those athletic tools. I went Sam Howell, though, quarterback oh, in North Carolina, wow. coming to the Detroit Lions. I think this is a prime spot for them or someone else trading up 
to just nab one of these QBs. Get that fifth-year option. Now the fifth-year option is not as lucrative, but it's always something nice to have in your back pocket should you need it. And Sam Howell, like Lions should take a dart, dart throw. Back in the first round, that top of the second round pick, there is talent in this quarterback class. It's just very unproven talent, so why not take a chance? Love it. That is it. Our final mock drafts. I want to make some changes already. I want to make some changes mm-hmm. based on where the market's Buddy, going. Buddy, I, I mean, I've been making changes literally all morning. It's if you once you start making changes, you're never going to stop. And this year, it, it's infuriating. It's difficult. It's very, very difficult. Um, all righty then. We have a couple more segments here, and then we'll get to the PJ Fleck interview. Before we get into that, shout out to BetterHelp. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life is full of twists and turns, stress, changes, grief, moments of growth, and moments where we feel like we're taking a few steps back. BetterHelp Online Therapy is there for the twists and turns and will assess your needs and can match up with your own licensed professional therapist in less than 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online and the service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your therapist. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline therapy and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is a great way to show up for yourself and invest in your well-being because, well, you deserve some inner peace. Visit betterhelp.com slash hutch. That's better H-E-L-P and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer to tailgate listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash hutch. Delete the tweet. Can we do mine first or mine? Yeah, okay. go ahead. Mine first is a tweet I sent yesterday. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> I think I'm struggling. I think my mental health is struggling. I think the fatigue of the draft is hitting, and I'm just sending out a bunch of dog shit tweets. This Urban Meyer tweet stinks. I was even workshopping it with you in the kitchen at yeah. our house. And, and I was like, you probably have to find the right player. And I just forced it. I'm, I'm upset. I'm upset. Okay, you know what draft? I like? So, someone replied to you. you. Read it out loud, and then I'll tell you what I like. So I read, I tweeted Urban Meyer because like there's all this smoke around who should the Jags take Trayvon Walker, Aiden Hutchinson, and I heard Doug Peterson likes Ike Aquanu, the owner mm-hmm. likes this guy. I said Urban Meyer is leaning Wandale Robinson, the Kentucky receiver, at first overall for the Jaguars per source, which is just an awful tweet that people should have saved their likes on. 354 likes is ridiculous. I honestly am thinking about deleting it. I, I and I think I attribute to really just not a lot of what. Um, uh, what's the hormone that dopamine? Not a lot of dopamine this week. Yeah. I, I I'm low right now. I need some freaking W's. I'm low. I, I the the draft is fatigued. I'm is. in so many meetings this week that are I'm ready to blow my brains out. Um, but here I am sending out bad tweets. So I want it deleted. Urb, I th- I think Urban Meyer is interested in training the number one overall pick for Gears. Tony could have been. That would have been good. Could, it could have been a little better. But I think like so. there, just because of the you know. What was the issue, reply that you liked? Issues. That was it. Someone said they should trade it for Tony. I uh, think that that's a better tweet. Could have been hit. Uh, mine's pretty poop. I actually realized I was looking through tweets from 2017, going back, and I did a version of who's stopping this offense, and oh, it got wow. not a single like. Thank you, <gasps> thank you, followers at the time. This was way back when I probably had like like 8,000 followers. 2017. I said try and stop this Raiders offense. You went Joe Mixon, though, the Raids. But Joe Mixon, yeah. They would have been pretty excited. Would have been a nice pick for them. But What kind of tweet is this from PFF? Trying to stop the series. randomly off. sent out. We did a PFF mock, and it was, they were all in order, but they weren't threaded, apparently. How long? What is this? That seems like an interesting strategy from the PFF social team here. I did a try and stop this Raiders. And you got three retweets. Let's see who tweeted it. Not a single Ravi, JC, who follows me now, and then Almighty Sammy. Love to see it. I think mine's worse. 
Uh, and it got more likes for God knows why. All right, generational prospect bracket. Is this the last one? This is it, quarterback. We're quarterback, done. baby. In 2015, not on the big board because PFF didn't do a big board yet because they were scared to compete. Hmm. It was Jameis Winston, quarterback from Florida State, number one in that mock draft. In 2016, number one quarterback on our board, number four overall was Jared Goff. Number 27 in 2017, we need to have a conversation here. This is before I started PFF. I started PFF May 21st of 2017. This draft in 2017 obviously was before that. And you guys had freaking Mitch Trubisky this is one as the number one not quarterback. To throw anyone the bus, this who, one who's Steve to blame? Did. Call him out. I want this names. This is when Steve did the draft. So this is not. I, Steve wanted Mitch number one. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was 13th on the board, though. So we still wouldn't have drafted him where the Bears drafted him. But he was 13th on the board. Yikes. Baker Mayfield, we've made that clear, is our number one overall player in the 2018 NFL draft. The Oklahoma quarterback. 2019, another Oklahoma quarterback was the number one player on our board. And the number one quarterback, obviously, was Kyler Murray. And then 2020, number one player on our board, number one quarterback, Joe Burrow. 2021, Trevor Lawrence, number one player, number one quarterback in 2021. And then 2022, the quarterback class stinks. Lowest ranked quarterback of any of the draft boards that we've had over the last five years. 30th, Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback. All right, Winston versus Willis. You have to go Winston. Jameis, no debate. Goff first round's versus, easy for some of these. Yeah, Goff versus Lawrence. Lawrence, no debate. Trubisky versus Burrow. Burrow, no debate. Baker versus Kyler. Here's the debate. And this one's tight. I lean Baker. So do I. Now, Kyler Especially, five, you know the stat that PFF just peppered that entire draft? Three years of elite grading. Oh, Three yeah. years of elite grading. Three years. Three years of elite grading. Three years of elite grading. And accurate, accurate, accurate. Most accurate quarterback we've ever graded. Most highest grade quarterback we've ever seen. Baker Mayfield objectively was PFF was higher. PFF was higher on Baker Mayfield than Kyler Murray by a landslide. I don't think it's even close. I think it's Baker. Yeah. Now, it, would other mark would other outlets be? I think if you looked at you know a lot of people were higher on um, Josh Allen in that draft and all that stuff. Daniel Jones even. I don't think a lot of people were higher on Josh Allen. No, no, that's no, that's true. But I'm stupid. But I mean, Josh I, Allen I think, objectively think... has been who you would have wanted out of that draft. Probably Lamar Jackson too ahead of him. But shit, Baker, like after Baker's rookie year, we look great. Yeah. We were sitting tight. We were like, fuck, yeah, this is great. I think Mayfield Mayfield versus Murray, though, on a lot of other people's boards, I think some people would lean Murray. And, and some a lot of people yeah. were high on Murray. Uh, people weren't that. I mean, remember January of that year, there was talk about him not even playing football because he wasn't was he even going to be a first-round pick if he played football. And, and I think we were one of the first people that said, you know, this is the number one player in the class. Like, it. I think you can objectively look at him his game and, and see, yeah, he's five nine, but the dude can sling it and he can run too, and that's a weapon. So we were high on him too, for sure. Obviously, number one point on the board, but yeah, definitely higher on Baker. Next would be, looks like Jameis versus Baker. I think we gotta go Baker again, dude. Yeah, I wasn't here one, for Winston though. So we I don't know. Love Jameis too. Uh, don't get me wrong. We went back and graded his season prior to that, and it earned like a ninety-four point nine. Like it was great. The the Heisman year, before his kind of fall off, throw behind him against Oregon, whatever, in the playoffs, that crab legs, the whole shebang. That was his absurd redshirt sophomore season. But I, I I do think Baker though. We were higher on. We were really banging the table as him yeah. being. A dude. We're still banging the table. <laughs> still banging the table for Baker Mayfield. Uh, I think it's Baker as well. Then we have Goff. No. T-Law, Trevor Lawrence versus Joe Burrow. 
That's a toughie. But I think we said this last year. We're like, dude, T-Law over Burrow. Yeah, I, I think, think so. we said it just from projectable I was about to say, if we go Burrow over Lawrence here, I don't think that's right. I, I mean, did love Burrow. Like, Burrow versus Baker, I would lean Burrow. But T-Law versus Burrow, I, I still think the breadth of his career and just how good he was at such a young age and what he operated behind off the line was like T-Law. So then it's Lawrence Baker and we're going Lawrence. We're going T-Law. T-Law, generational the generational team. quarterback I don't think that's prospect. That's too too hot of a take there. You so love we to have it. our generational team. Let's okay. go. T-Law at QB, Squan at running back. We're throwing to Cal Pitts and Amari Cooper love with it. our defensive line anchored by Quinton Williams and Chase Young. Uh, not great. Oh, wait, our offensive line anchored by Quentin Nelson and Penny Sewell. A little better. Um, with Micah Parsons coming off the blitz because our secondary is so good with Derwin James at safety and Jalen Ramsey at corner. Those, I think, I think those are pretty accurate. That's I like that. Yeah. I like that. It's a, good, it's a good process. I think we can't do the same segment next year because we're we'll be running into the same guys, sure. but I think it's a good it's a process. One, once every, it's a once in a generation. Eight it's years true. from now. Get well, ready for the generational process. Tailgate in eight years. We'll have our kids on the show. <laughs> and it'll be sick. Um, let's jump now to the interview with Minnesota head coach P.J. Fleck. Getting the Zoom recorded, Coach. Got to get that in there as well. Talking talking more about Boye Mafe, something that has come up in the pre-draft evaluation for him is arm length. Oh, he can't, you know, can't get past some of the longer arm tackles and those types of things. You know, speak specifically even beyond Boye Mafe, how pass rushers overcome that and what you need to do if you are a low percentile arm length type of pass rusher, how you move past that when you are going against some of these longer arm offensive tackles. Yeah, I mean, the arm, arm length does matter, right? Or they wouldn't measure it, but it's about leverage. You know, football comes down to a horizontal and vertical battle. Um, there's a horizontal battle, right, where I've got to get my hands inside somebody else uh, and create that leverage, and I can have that vertical level where, you know, uh, my helmet's got to be underneath his helmet. And I think Boye is a really, does a really good job athletically of bending, coming around the corner, distorting his body into different areas uh, where he can get really small really quickly and then have the explosion to back it up. But leverage is absolutely critical, and he's really good at it. You know, another top player coming out of Minnesota this year is the offensive tackle, the monster, Daniel Paolale. You have a fantastic recruiting story with Paolale. You, what you did to get him to Minnesota was fantastic. You speak to the, the human he is, the family he has, and all that stuff. Talk more about how you got Paolale to, to Minnesota. Well, there's a lot of factors into that, but the simple thing was we brought mom on a visit. Uh, <laughs> that was really easy. We got mom to come from Australia. And, Next thing you know, she ended up moving here uh, when he picked Minnesota. So she'd been in the Twin City area his entire career here, uh, brought the whole family with her. Um, she's just a wonderful lady, wonderful woman. I've done a great job raising her son and her family. Uh, and, and Daniel's worked incredibly hard. You know, he came to us about 415, 420 pounds. He's down around the 380 mark, which is amazing when you talk about he's down to the 380s. <laughs> um, but at the end of the day, you know, he wanted to make a big difference, and he did do that. Uh, you know, one thing about him, people see how big he is, how strong he is, uh, just the physical specimen he is. But he's also a really amazing person and he's fun to talk to. And some people have to look past how big he is. And I'm sure he's heard that his entire life, how big he is, how big he is. But he's still a human being inside. Uh, and I, his best football is ahead of him, uh, which is uh, going to be in the National Football League. 
Speak to how he's handled that, right? Because that's something I wanted to talk to you about as well. I mean, it's someone that has always had high expectations. Oh, he's got all these, you know, all this talent in the world, all this size to be such a dominant player. And when you're getting that consistently, sometimes it can be difficult to wrap your head around on like, you know, how do you eat a whale, right? One step after the other, one bite at a time, improving your technique, getting down to the weight you need to get to. How has he handled those high expectations? And, and where would you say his game has improved the most? Well, I think nobody's going to put more pressure on himself to be who he wants to become than himself. Uh, I think expectations from the external, they're always going to be there no matter what you accomplish. That move, that needle will always move forward uh, no matter who you are, whether you're LeBron James, whether you're Aaron Rodgers, whether you're Daniel Falele. Um, but when you look at what he can do, his uh, again, his best football is ahead of him because he hasn't played a lot of football. Mm -hmm. I mean, he played two years of high school football, came here. Uh, we had a COVID year where he wasn't a part of. Uh, and now he's going to be a National Football League player. Um, and I thought Brian Callahan, our O-line coach, does one of the best jobs in the country at developing offensive line uh, play. And, you know, Daniel has not only have the physical attributes now, he understands the mental part. Now he's a student of the game. He understands the game. Uh, he's been coached at a high level. So whoever gets him is going to be able to maximize the potential he has inside him. I want to look ahead to some of these 2022 Golden Gophers. One of my favorite players on the roster is Mo Ibrahim. I was devastated when he went down with injury last season. Getting him back, not just in the locker room, but on the football field, I think is going to have such a positive impact on Minnesota's offense. Uh, what are your expectations for him, obviously, coming off the injury? Well, the expectations is for Muhammad to be the best Muhammad he can be and just continue to change his best and, and keep chasing the challenge every day. And I think he'll do that. You know, he's been great in the offseason. He's in Ramadan right now. Uh, so, I mean, you talk about commitment. This guy, you know, we had to put an NCAA waiver in because during Ramadan, he's not allowed to drink or eat anything uh, during the day, sun up wow. to sundown. And you can imagine the challenge that puts on you as a coach. Do I put him in? Do we practice him? Do we not? Um, and we're always going to do the smart thing. And uh, the smart thing is not to practice him. So he's up on Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturdays at 3.30 in the morning doing his own practice before the sun comes up. Our strength coach, our running back coach, Kenny Burns, Dan Nickel. And that's the commitment level he has. So, I mean, the sky's the limit for him. Unfortunately, he got hurt last year. You and I, you know, definitely share the devastation in that. Uh, he was going to have a tremendous year, but he's worked really hard at coming back. He's healthy, uh, but right now he's dealing with Ramadan. And he's had a really good spring, again, working out in the mornings. And I really look forward to him to leading this football team to uh, really special things as he keeps moving forward. That is insane dedication by Ibrahim. I'm not surprised, by the way. All I've heard about him is that he is just such a hardworking kid. Another player on offense that I'm excited to see, another veteran, a leader, I'm sure, in that offense is Chris Ottman-Bell, who attacks the ball in the air so well. You obviously have coached some of the best receivers in, in the game. You know, how excited are you for Ottman-Bell this upcoming year? You know what? I think he's done a great job at developing his mindset to be the bell cow, you know, to be the number one receiver. The great thing about being the number one receiver is you better have a really good – to your Batman, you better be one – you better have somebody that's robbing. Uh, you always need a counterpart. And the Dalen Wrights, the Daniel Jacksons, the Michael Brown Stevens, um, those guys have had really good off seasons. And one thing Chris Altman-Bell has done a great job of starting last year was elevating the room, elevating the room mentally, physically, emotionally – becoming really complete wide receivers. We had so many guys playing for us last year when Chris Altman-Bell got hurt. I'm mean, talking about Michael Brown-Stevens, who was basically in his redshirt freshman year. Dalen Wright was in his first year of the program. Daniel Jackson, that was really his first significant playing time. Now those guys have had a whole year of playing. You mix it with Chris Altman-Bell. And then not only that, Brevin Spanford, who I think is developing in one of the better tight ends in the country, um, and throw him into the mix as well. 
I, I think you're going to have, you know, and Tanner coming back, I think you have the ability, if, if it's consistent and, and we can keep getting the most out of them, uh, to be a very effective and efficient offense. One more question for you, Coach, and I'll let you go. I really appreciate the time. We spent a lot of time on offense, but give me some names on defense Minnesota fans should be excited about after working with them in the spring. You know, everybody talks about our offense, and, you know, we, we did had, had a really good year in 2019 where we were a top 10 offense in the country and mm-hmm. uh, produced some really amazing talent. But we don't get the guy, the, the defensive staff doesn't get enough credit. Now they do, <laughs> but we had a top 10 defense last year, um, and we've been really solid on defense. Uh, but you're looking at guys like Trill Carter, uh, one of our three techniques, played a lot of football for us, still a young player. Mariano Sori Marion, one of the, I think, one of the best Big Ten linebackers that are very consistent in their play. Kind of that big, rugged, you know, uh, Chicagoland, you know, Big Ten linebacker. And then Justin Wally, who was a freshman All-American last year, who was Mr. Mississippi uh, two years ago in high school, was a true freshman, played for us last year. And then I think, you know, the anchor of our team are our two safeties. Uh, Tyler Newbin, who, again, I think he's going to be developing one of the better safeties in the country. And then Jordan Howden as well. Those two have played a lot of football together. After Antoine Winfield Jr. left, those two are the guys that have taken over since and have played really good football. So, again, we had to, we had to find some pieces here and there to be able to fill in the gaps with that. Uh, and then our specialists have really grown tremendously as well. But that's what you want to see out of your football team. You want to see growth. We've hit the portal a little bit on defense as well. Um, so, you know, we just got to keep getting better, keep changing our best. I love the mindset of this team. They're breaking boring every day, and that's the challenge they have. Coach, always a pleasure when our paths cross. Really appreciate the time, and I wish you the best of luck this upcoming season. Likewise, appreciate you. Roll the boat, Sky Go Gophers.